Postscript Media, podcast for a changing planet. That's sort of the startup game, isn't it? Where where even if even if you are using AI a little bit, you say it's all AI and there's still a lot of heavy lifting going on behind the scenes a lot of times uh, with <laughs> a lot of humans doing a lot of work. Absolutely. 100%. Actually, this reminds Wizard me. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah. The, the Wizard of Oz, which is like your, your interns. Um, it's a whole model <laughs> in tech. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you're paid interns. <laughs> This is Hot Buttons, a show about the future of fashion and culture on a changing planet. I'm Christina Binkley. I'm a contributing writer at Vogue Business and the Wall Street Journal. This week, first, Patagonia gives away the company, and we love it. Then we'll wrap New York Fashion Week and look towards Europe, where London is looking a little toned down while they mourn the passing of the Queen. Then we're on to secondhand September, which we are celebrating all month, and how we can all do a better job shifting our habits toward resale and slow fashion. We're talking with Venetia Lamana. I'm not doing her name justice because I have an American accent and she has a beautiful British accent. But Venetia is a fellow podcaster and a fair fashion campaigner with a big social media following, and this is her specialty, sharing her passion for ethical fashion and helping us understand how to be a more informed and engaged consumer and embrace resale. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Rachel Kibbe of Circular Services Group is in New York. Rachel, how's it going? It's going great, Christina. And the CEO of Thrilling, Sheila Kim Parker, is coming to us, as always, from South Salem, New York. Hey, Sheila! I'm actually coming from Soho, New York City. Okay, fan. Very hip. Co-working okay. space. It's extremely hip. I feel very out of place. <laughs> That's why it looks a little cramped in your background there. Like, yeah. Are you in a closet? Video. You look like you're yes. in a closet. Yes. Yep. I'm okay. in a closet. <laughs> An empty closet, we should say. Yeah. Closet. Yeah. Okay. Well, you kept with the S thing. We have to keep that going because instead of South Salem, it's Soho. Right. So that's good. <laughs> That's right. We have to keep you always. Shilla in a place that begins with an S. Hey, before we bring Venetia on, let's talk about last week's news. Boy, it was a week in our industry. There was New York Fashion Week. It was back in full form. I saw a lot that I loved, by the way. We just sort of didn't talk about that, but I just want to, can I drop a couple of cool things? Yeah. Yes, please. Peter Doe, D-O, that he is an extraordinary designer. I'm kind of amazed that he shows in New York because he's very fashion forward and a lot of designers would with the, do what he's doing, would would show in Paris, um, but it's really good for New York Fashion Week to have a designer like that. He's thinking different. He doesn't proceed with his business the way other people do. And I think it shows in the menswear that he just launched. And I'm really excited to see where he goes. And I, d- I don't know him at all. So this is not like a plug for a friend. Um, he's just a, a fascinating one. Um, I saw a um, a Ukrainian brand, which really, um, I, I actually went to see this because... I was just curious how you do that. It's called Bevza, which is the last name of the designer. She is living with her two children in Portugal right now while her husband is fighting on the front lines over mm-hmm. there in eastern Ukraine. And she has managed to continue producing her brand in Kiev. I mean, I can't even imagine. She was talking about using Zoom. She's gone back and forth a few times since the occupation forces left that part of Ukraine. And it was pretty cool to see her showing in New York Fashion Week and um, sitting right there in the front row were fashion directors. I saw Moda Operandi was there, Neiman Marcus was there, um, Nordstrom was there, and Bergdorf was there. So that's um, that's wow. some real interest in what she's doing. And I think part of it was... You know, I was chatting with people. She's done some good things with jewelry, but, you know, fashion really wants to support Ukraine and Ukrainian That's designers, great. which is, um, it's interesting to see that kind of passion happening. And that lastly, I just have to say that the Tom Ford show was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had on his runway was all super disco stuff. I mean, it sort of felt like, here's my life. Um, it was super shiny. And I mean, you really felt like you could 
just show up at Studio 54. And yet it was super melancholy. His music mm. was um, just so s- sad. It was sort of, I think he lost his husband, Richard Buckley, a, almost exactly a year ago. Um, there are these rumors that his company is being shopped around for sale. They've hired Goldman Sachs, apparently. And I re- I just, I, I keep coming back in my mind wondering if we just said goodbye to Tom Ford yeah. or if he just said goodbye oh, to wow. us. He may it was, have. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? It's funny because I did not hear the audio, but from the pictures, I was thinking it's sequins and steroids and it felt very celebratory. And so it's so interesting to hear that actually it was melancholy um, and a little bit maybe bittersweet. And it's true, like the audio and the visual was not in sync. Incongruous. On that, where you're looking at this like woo, he was in two different moods. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that tells you something about how impactful audio is. That we just walked out of there going, "Oh my god!" Wow. <laughs> anyway, um, I kind of I'll feel sad if that was a goodbye. Anyway, another part of what happened this week, which is pretty extraordinary news for people who are interested in sustainability and fashion is H&M is getting rid of its conscious choice. That's quote unquote. They have hand tags that said that on some of their clothes. They're getting rid of those in response to pressure from regulators and consumers that called it out for greenwashing. Uh, one announcement overshadowed everything else, by the way. We are, we've got to talk about Patagonia founder um, Yvonne Chouinard said he's going to give away the company. Um, that's right. He's giving away the company, basically transferring his family's ownership to a to two entities. One is a nonprofit, and the other is a special trust designed specifically to fight climate change. And um, his reason was simple: he didn't want to sell or go public. He doesn't trust the public markets to to do what he wants to do um, with climate change and with his company. So he and his bankers came up with this totally novel structure that lets the company devote its profits to fighting climate change rather than lining shareholder pockets. I read these art, several articles about this carefully trying to understand what the structure is. Um, but essentially it's an ongoing company and it will reinvest in itself to keep going. But anything in excess of that in terms of profits will go to causes to flight climate change and those investments and expenditures will be overseen by this trust that he's formed. So um, super interesting. What do you guys yeah, think? So exciting. I mean, obviously I had to sort of look into it a little bit before I totally celebrated it. And there's already been some criticism, but I just, I, I still am, am looking to poke holes in this and I really can't given the structure that <laughs> they've chosen in the society we live in. Listen, Rachel, I loved your, I loved your measured tweets, by the way. Did you like you my measured say, tweets? <laughs> you would say, if this is exactly how it appears and sounds, <laughs> I will give my qualified <laughs> we endorsement all have- of this move. <laughs> We all have reason to be cynical. Who have I become? I used to be such a grassroots activist, and now (laughs) I know because you're a grassroots activist. Maybe that's and and I've been let down. I mean, you know, we've all been let down, and we've had to go back. But listen, Patagonia, founded in 1973 by a rock climber to make better climbing gear for other rock climbers, Um, and by the 90s, he had already avoided near bankruptcy. They'd had ups and downs and he came out on top with a billion dollar company. And this is a man who to this day does not use a cell phone or email. He managed the company loosely, apparently from what I've read from the articles that have been published over the last few weeks and going back over the last few years from what I could find. This is a guy who also disappears for months on end to be in the wilderness and continues to believe that the only good things that happen in society are on a local level. But he is also a founder who is conflictedly really, really good at business, like really good at business. And in 2005, he released an updated memoir titled Let My People Go Surfing, in which in the introduction he writes, I've been a businessman for almost 60 years. It is as difficult for me to say those words as it is for someone to admit being an alcoholic or a lawyer. I have never respected the profession. Wow. It's a a harsh blow to lawyers. (laughs) And alcoholics. (laughs) And then in 1991, he communicates to his employees that they are making outdoor-like clothing for posers. So, so this is a guy who is, he's, he's never shied away from criticizing himself, his role in business, and, and, and then pivoting to make changes to what he views as problematic in his company. In fact, after he made that statement to, <laughs> that poser statement to his employees, he 
switched from giving 10% of their profits to grassroots environmental organizations to what is now fairly common, but was fairly revolutionary at the time, 1% of their total sales to as an earth tax to, to um, environmental causes. Um, so he has sort of always tried to walk the walk in the confines of a business that has um, been criticized for growing and being Patagucci and being uh, elitist and making yep. the outdoors something that's uh, exclusionary of all people and only meant for the wealthy. I don't think this is uh, something that he is unaware of. If any company was going to do this, it was going to be Patagonia and it was going to be him. I mean, I think, honestly, we're not all the way done with 2022 yet, but I think this is the climate fashion news of the year. Um, yeah, for sure. And it's an unbelievable move. It's an extraordinary move. And I think it hits a nerve, not just for all the obvious kind of climate and sustainability goals and how exciting that is, but it also hits on a nerve that kind of the current of conversation we have around what's the role of the ultra wealthy and what's mm -hmm. the role of billionaires yes. in our society. Um, and I think part of the shock is that this goes against the grain of the idea that most of us have, which is that most of us are self-interested. Mm -hmm. And given the choice between accumulation of wealth, you're going to choose that over self-sacrifice. And the idea that someone would give up all those billions seems unheard and not, of. And not only for themselves, for their family. That really struck me is that he's got children and grandchildren who are part of this too. Who are now on salary. Well, look, first of all, I don't think that they're not, I think they're doing just fine. I mean, first of all, they've accumulated a lot of wealth um, uh, over the years. So I think um, everyone's making wild guesses now, but I think they'll be just fine. Um, and as Rachel mentioned, um, some of them are on salary still. Um, so they do still have that kind of connection to the company. But still, it is unprecedented that somebody would turn away from that amount of wealth that they have a rightful claim over. Yeah, I would also say it's interesting that I, I think that it's an opportunity for all of us to learn about governance structures as well. Um, some people have said, oh, well, he's avoiding $700 million in taxes by transitioning $3 billion to a 501c4. Um, well, it's first of all, ridiculous argument. It's, that was a Bloomberg headline. That, this is how governance ridiculous. structures work, by the way. Like, you can, the money has to go somewhere. It has to go in a governance structure. Um, would you rather him pay $700 million in federal taxes right now, a lot of which are going to go to the military-industrial complex, or would you like forever after for the company to put their profits into causes for the planet? First of all, well, that's my also, response to that. Yeah. And also, he is paying more than that in taxes. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, Bloomberg, I don't, even, I don't know who wrote that for them, but they I obviously know. didn't even read. It was just a headline, into, and yeah. then the article didn't even talk about it, but I, yeah. I saw tweets about it, and I was just like, ugh. And then Maybe. also, he's going to be a 501c4, which mm -hmm. is not only, uh, it, which is different than the traditional 501c3 structure that most nonprofits are, which means they're also going to be able to lobby and give money to political causes, which, by the right. way, our friends on the other side of the tracks are also doing. So this is like, this is not unique to uh, liberal causes. This has been happening in um, far right causes as well. Billionaires are also putting their money into similar corporate structures. So I think this is sort of a new governance structure that's going to benefit, uh, if you are aligned with these causes, benefit those causes. I think part of it is conversation is stimulated by the fact that the mechanics are actually are unknown. Um, how these how will these trusts operate? How will they make their decisions? And mm -hmm. um, what is the oversight um, over these trusts? There is no reason to believe that um, there's anything but good intention, um, and it's a radical, innovative move. And I think at this moment of time, with the information that we have, we have a lot of cause to be encouraged and excited and really applaud. I actually t told my son, I turned to him when I was reading about that, and I said, I think that, um, you know, prepare yourself for getting Patagonia for Christmas. Because I looked at that and thought, as I'm trying to make good consumption decisions, yeah. um, I, I have to sort of put my faith in brands, not only that are doing good on the sustainability of the impact of what they're producing, but using their profits well. And Patagonia just gave me confidence that they're yeah. doing it on both ends. What's, it's so hilarious that his intention is to slow growth. And actually, I think he's going to, there are going to be more, more posers right. than ever wearing He's going to be so upset in his cabin in Wyoming. <laughs> ah, this isn't what I wanted. All these posers buying my clothes. <laughs> well, at least he finally got off the Forbes billionaire list. Yeah. <laughs> <It's huge. laughs> 
thank heavens. <laughs> I mean, one of my girlfriends said, now I want to work at Patagonia. I actually yeah. I do think that they built an enormous amount of brand equity. Yeah. And so they've, they've yeah. earned uh, now an even more loyal and passionate consumer following. And mm-hmm. honestly, this is probably very, very helpful for recruiting. Well, there there is a beacon for you. That's the beacon of all beacons of hope there. So let's bring on Venetia. Venetia Lamana is joining us from her home in the UK, where she's often recording videos of her thoughts on everything from how to repair your clothes to garment worker rights, the evils of fast fashion, her summer holidays, her skincare routine, or what she's reading. She also has her own podcast called All the Little Things, and it's a delight, I'm telling you, it really is, a delight to listen to and watch. We're excited to have her on for Secondhand September. Hey, Venetia, Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a fan of the show, so I'm very, very excited to be here. That's super to hear. We we should mention, by the way, that you are recording this. We scheduled it before we knew when the Queen's funeral was going to be. So um, we are recording this, and um, you're missing out on, I guess, the tail end of some of the public stuff. So thank you. No worries at all. I just want to leap right in here. One of the things that I love about what you do is you look at the good and the bad of a lot of things. And you point it out very frankly, and you are very articulate in doing so. So, you know, we are talking about resale all month now, secondhand September. I'm curious about what you see in the resale end of things that is good and maybe that's what's bad. It's been quite an exciting couple of months. We started the summer with the eBay and Love Island partnership, which I know you guys have spoken about a lot. That, yes, exactly. I, I feel immediately seen. <laughs> Anisha, I'm calling you later so we can talk more about it. What a show. <laughs> what a show, what a summer. Um, what a show. It, it was a great series. Um, anyway, so that was that felt like a real win, to be honest, That the, the eBay and Love Island partnership. And Love Island, I can't stress how culturally significant it is in the UK. I know it spread its wings, but really it is truly the biggest deal over here. And one of the reasons why contestants want to go on the show is because they want a fast fashion partnership. So the fact that one of the finalists has landed a contract with eBay and that eBay were the main fashion sponsor of the show is huge. And we don't get all that many wins in the slow fashion movement. So I feel like it's really important to celebrate those wins. So that was very, very exciting. Now, what eBay didn't have the money to do was prevent the other finalists from taking on fast fashion partnerships. So one of whom took on a partnership with a brand new resale app from Pretty Little Thing, which I know you spoke about on the show last week, because like I said, I'm a fan of the show. I don't miss a week. Um, And personally speaking, I I found this announcement... um, quite disappointing and worrying. And I know you you spoke about it in a really nuanced way, but this is something that Pretty Little Thing have been planning for years. I don't talk about this much, but I once went for a cup of tea with Umar Kamani, who is the CEO of Pretty Little Thing. And this was about three or four years ago. It was probably the strangest 45 minutes of my life. Yeah. How did that even happen? Did he invite you? Me and my community were giving him a hard time on Instagram. And so he thought one way to maybe make me be quiet was to go and have a cup of tea. And he said, would you like to come on our, on the Pretty Little Thing podcast? And what do you think we should be doing? It was very, very strange. Um, but he did mention the resale app then. So I think it's something that they have been talking about for a really, really long time. He's since blocked me. So this wasn't the start of oh. some great relationship. We we really, it, it didn't last long. Very mature. <laughs> I was about to give him credit for reaching out to you, but never mind. Yeah, alas, I don't well, maybe have that. W- maybe he'll unblock you. Mm, yeah, no, I, um, I, I would be surprised, to be honest. Um, so I, yeah, so I do know it's something they've been speaking about for a while, and this isn't the first fast fashion app that we've seen do resale. Um, I know Newly N U U L Y is another secondhand app that's come from a from a fast fashion brand, um, and I f- don't feel great about it to be honest. I really do feel that there are so many independent resale apps doing things in the right way in a brilliant way already, and these clothes from Pretty Little Thing aren't made to last. And although they have an offering of other brands on their app, it just feels like if they have all this excess money, you know, they have money to pay for a influencer contract, this massive app, this huge marketing campaign, why can't that money 
be going towards paying their garment makers a fair living wage. It was only a few years ago when they were outed for paying their garment makers £3.50 an hour right here in the UK in Leicester. And just this summer, there was another report that said oh, by Boohoo, funded by Boohoo, which is the parent company that said over 50% of their Leicester-based garment makers are still earning well under the fair li- the, uh, the minimum wage here in the UK and that they're being forced to work in awful conditions and not allowed to take toilet breaks. So to me, I just see this announcement as a lot of money misspent. The main concern I have at the moment, especially following Boohoo's Courtney Kardashian partnership announcement, is I worry that people's first glimpse into sustainable fashion is going to be from a highly exploitative brand like Boohoo or Pretty Little Thing. And then pretty soon down the line, they're going to realize that this isn't a sustainable brand and this can never be a sustainable brand. And then they're going to feel disheartened and they're going to feel misled and they're going to check out. And that really deeply concerns me. And I also just feel like, hang on a second, why are we all taking money from a brand like this? Why can't this money be going to the people without whom we literally wouldn't have a fashion industry and that's garment making. Venetia, we've seen and we're going to see so many more announcements because we know that brands and retailers are savvy, that they can see the policy measures that are coming down the pike. They know that consumers are asking hard questions and are wanting their the companies they support to do better. What do you believe... When you see an announcement coming from a company or a fast fashion company, talk about some of the elements you think they will need to include in that announcement in order for it to be a genuine step forward. From the brand perspective, I wish they could be more upfront about what they're not doing as opposed to what they are doing. Because at the moment, it just feels really unbalanced and highly greenwashy. For the past however many years, you know, I'm, you guys have been doing this longer than me. Years and years and years, we've just seen brands talk to us about all the great stuff they're doing. And then it takes a really long time for us to out that as actually misleading. Like, how long did it take an adv- advertising standards agency to remove H&M's conscious label from their tags, which is coming into action in October. That took a long time and a lot of people calling them out and asking them to do better. So from a brand perspective, we desperately need legislation to prevent them from misleading us. But I just wish they would be more upfront about what they're not doing. Also in the UK, there's it's very, very, very hard for us to figure out how many items of clothing they're selling a year. And we know we're in the midst of a textile waste crisis that is impacting people so detrimentally in the global south. So I would love them to be more upfront about how many items of clothing they're producing a year. And then also just being more transparent about their supply chains and open about the fact that very few of them are paying their garment makers a fair living wage. And then part two, if someone like Kourtney Kardashian is offered a huge amount of clothing from a big fashion brand in a bid to go on a journey, in adverted commas, to learn about sustainable fashion. I know this is radical, but we need radical action in these times. I would prefer said celebrity to publicly explain why they are not taking on this partnership and go on the journey anyway. Or, as a kind of halfway point, take the collaboration if you must, but instead of producing a new line of clothing, just don't. Just don't produce any any extra clothes if it's about sustainability. But ideally, I want to see celebrities with huge power and platform not taking on brand collaborations that they frankly don't need and instead using their platforms to publicly encourage people to learn more about where our clothes are made and how they're made and and issues like the textile waste and worker rights, which Courtney is doing, but she's doing it in cohorts with a brand, which is one of the worst. So that has been really, really frustrating me. And that's that really gets to the, to the crux of it all is quantities, right? It seems like all of the conversations that we have about around sustainability all come back to the fact that we all have too many clothes in our closet already. Why are we still shopping for more? And it's really hard. I mean, it's sort of against capitalism to suggest that companies should make less. And yet that's really true. Yeah, those are the two elephants in the room. Can I back up a little bit and ask you about your trajectory? 
because I, I'm so curious. So you started, Venetia, in food, right? So I actually started uh, my career in television as I worked my way up as a producer and then I started presenting. And I pre- presented mainly kind of music, television, and then I started presenting food and kind of sustainable hack videos for a company called Taste Made, which I'm hopeful you guys might be familiar with because they're an American company. I was just really, having come from TV and then suddenly I was in digital, I was really, really excited by the digital space and social media. And suddenly I was able to talk about, you know, having a plant-based diet and sustainable hacks. And I just thought, oh, this is cool. Like I wouldn't get the opportunity to do this on telly because no one would care. Um, And so I, I started a YouTube channel and then I also started a podcast, which you're right, was about food. I I love food. I'm a big eater. Um, And I think food is a really powerful way to connect with people, learn about culture, um, look after ourselves. It's a a great way to find a community, just everything. Um, And then I was talking about being vegan on YouTube. How do you know someone's vegan? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Uh, And someone said, hey, cool that you're cool that you're vegan but you're wearing ASOS and you're wearing fast fashion. This really doesn't align. And um, I... I was like, oh, okay, I haven't heard much about this. So I went away and did some research. Um, I watched the True Cost documentary and I just started reading some books about fashion and and the impacts of fashion. And I could not believe what I was discovering. And at the time, this isn't something that my friends were really talking about. And it wasn't really something that I was seeing talked about all that much on social media. And it was also coinciding with a time where I felt like I couldn't really keep up with the newness of fashion production and consumption and there was a hashtag that was really trendy on Instagram called outfit of the day OOTD and so I started my own which was triple OTD which stands for old outfit of the day and I just very slowly started kind of talking about re-wearing my own clothes and it literally just went from there and I think it was good timing really it's been a wild old ride but uh it's been the greatest unlearning of my adult life and I think learning about the system of fashion is a really amazing way to learn about other kind of exploitative systems and what I've learned from fashion I've applied to other things thank you for that and I just love your cooking slash fast fashion informational videos they're just a joy to watch they're fun they're so polished where are the recipes is my question yes they make me hungry. I'm still thinking about those nachos. Like I literally had wanted nachos for days because of your, I think it was the Nike nacho video. <laughs> how do you not make a mess? First of all, like, how does it look so clean? Like how long Preparation. does it <laughs> So here's the thing. My husband is a chef and he is the best food content creator. He's really, really brilliant. So I literally stole his idea and then made it my own. So it's, it's really, he deserves the credit, but he's, you know, he's a man. He's got enough good stuff going for him. He doesn't need the extra credit. So for recipes only and food only, he's your guy. Um, but it, they take, to be honest, those videos, I'm really glad you enjoy them because they take a lot of work. I can I tell. Can yeah. Awesome. Oh, that, that's good. Yeah, no, I, they take a lot of, they take a lot of research and a lot of prep. And I have my, I have a friend uh, who's also a journalist called Molly and she helps me research and fact check everything now just because they've picked up some good traction and I don't want to be part of spreading misinformation, which I definitely have been in the past, you know, those fashion facts that get thrown around without much backing. So yeah, those, those videos, I just, uh, I love making them actually. I try and do one a month and hopefully they're just a, I think there's, there's so much information out there about slow fashion. And I just hope that it's a really, it's a way to kind of make all the facts a little bit more engaging and funny. Also funny. I think like humor is quite important. Um, and yeah, I really, really enjoy making them. So I'm glad you, you like watching them. You know, I actually, I always think I'm always amazed at how um, sort of little Congress there is between food and fashion. One of the things, you know, as a journalist, I've covered many um, industries. And when I came in and started writing about fashion, I was surprised to find that so many people in the industry really don't like food that much. Um, They like making it look pretty, but they're um, like fashion brand dinners are often not very tasty and people don't really want to talk about it. They're not that interested in the food industry. I don't understand why that is, but I actually think that um, after seeing it for so many years that it's a thing. But I do find every once in a while that people in fashion, you'll find somebody who's really into food. And I find that there's often a curiosity there yeah. that I think, and and 
so much of what's happened in the food industry in terms of sustainability and regeneration is starting to be discussed in fashion. And there's so much to be learned from it. So I'm super glad that you're sort of marrying the two because it's rare and also there's a lot to be learned. You know, I just posted something in our, our mutual Slack channel that I came across uh, this this weekend about, um, I think it was on, on Yahoo, that um, a lot of luxury brands are now launching restaurants to, to go along with their luxury experience, which actually makes sense to me. To your point, I don't know if it's been married with the slow food movement. I think there were, the, you know, like Petrosian has a has a partnership now with Tiffany's, uh, which sort of makes sense to me, but I don't know how sustainable caviar is. I, I don't know enough about food. I, I'd be willing to guess it's not fashion and food are, are sensory experiences. And so when I watch your video about Nike's failure to pay garment workers or how H&M can never be circular unless it reduces production by 80%, I'm remembering those things because I watched you do it along with a recipe and eat food. I think there's, there's something about the human experience that's just more whole when you sort of combine multiple senses and... Um, I like that. I love that. Thank you for saying that. I think um, what you've raised kind of really resonates with me, actually, because since slowing my fashion consumption, and I'm sure it's been, I'm I'm pretty sure it's, I, I hear this a lot. I might, it might have been the same for you. Um, since slowing my fashion consumption, I appreciate my clothes so much more and I get more kind of nourishment from them. And I, the more I wear them, I feel like the more I add to their stories and I just, uh, it's like that slowing down, um, both in terms of, you know, food and cooking. I think you're right. There are some re- really strong links there and uh, I definitely feel more connected to my clothes since slowing my fashion fashion uh, consumption down. And, and similarly, since kind of slowing how I, or since learning about the food system and learning about, you know, just really small things like growing food and, um, and, and, and seasonal food, it makes me feel much more connected to what I'm eating as well, which is very, very important when we, you know, I've grown up in a world which only wants me to be disconnected from everything I consume. In addition to your activism on social media, I'm, I'm so admiring of your fearlessness to take to the streets um, especially on behalf of the people involved in making our clothes. And I, I think a, a lot of times, um, even in climate conversations, um, some, sometimes the people element of it, that they're human beings who are essentially doing slave labor today, right now at this minute, um, are, is sometimes um, overlooked. Are you finding that companies are responsive to that type of pressure? And for your fans around the world, how can folks help or be a part of the movement? Thank you. One of the best things for me about protesting and demoing is it gives me a real sense of community. And because I spend so much time on social media, you know, there is digital community is one thing, but, you know, being in solidarity with people in real life, you know, fighting for the same causes is really, really empowering and it's really, really nourishing. We actually, the last demos that we staged or protests that we staged uh, in London was just absolutely it was just such an experience um i teamed up with an amazing organization here in the uk called labor behind the label and um my friend maisha who runs a really wonderful instagram account which is all about garment makers um called oh so ethical and it was against misguided which is another ultra fast fashion brand in the uk a former a former sponsor of love island no less and they went into administration and they left their garment makers out of pocket for work that they'd already completed months ago. And they this brand literally cool. owed their garment makers millions. And the garment makers and suppliers who were impacted from Leicester uh, came and protested with us, which was just, just unbelievable, to be honest, because, you know... With all my privilege, it's quite rare for me to have to be in a situation where I get to meet garment makers and feel like I can do something in solidarity with them. And it was just it was just an amazing experience, but it was also heartbreaking and difficult and frustrating because it doesn't look like misguided are going to pay more than about two percent of what they owe back. So it, it was a, it was a real experience, but unfortunately not with the best outcome. 
why is that? Is that is that something to do with the the bankruptcy administration laws in the UK? I think so. Yeah, that other creditors are ahead of them. Yeah, exactly. Or? There's. I think there's. Well, I think there's just not enough legislation in place, which would mean that I think because they went into administration, even though the garment makers had already made these clothes, there wasn't enough. There's not enough law in place, basically, to ensure that they get paid. Um, and we try. We've we've been continually putting pressure on their investors and administrators, but unfortunately, it just hasn't really happened, which has been pretty awful. I know that protest isn't right for everyone for a multitude of reasons. Like right now in the UK, protesting is a pretty scary thing to do. Arrests are happen, happening more and more frequently for basically not much reason. Like the police are, are being quite scary, to be honest. Um, right here in the UK. And some of the, I, I co-founded a campaign uh, in 2020 with some friends called Remember Who Made Them, which was a which was a campaign and also a podcast where we spoke directly to garment makers around the world. And something that they consistently said is, use social media. It's a really, really powerful tool to put pressure on brands to make change and to meet our demands that we're asking for. And we have had some successes with that. There was a case a couple of summers ago where Mango were, were mistreat, mistreating their garment makers. And, you know, collectively, when lots of people put pressure on, on brands online, it, it truly can force them into action. And this is because brands really care a lot about their image and they put, spend so mm-hmm. much money on their image. So if you're in a position to clog up comment sections and say, hey, have you paid your workers? Like, this, is, this is really unacceptable. And they hate it. They just want you to be saying, oh, cute dress. They hate, they hate right. when they're called out for that. So digital activism can be really powerful. And if you are someone who, you know, being out in the streets and protesting appeals to, I, I really think it can be an awesome thing to do. It can be an awesome way to um, create a lot of buzz and 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 kind of I don't know and and again kind of like find that sense of community which I just think is so so important um, but there are so many ways to be involved in in this kind of slow fashion fight and I think it's about finding kind of what right what's right for you and also kind of working with your skill set and, um, and and what you have to give. Let's talk about that because you mentioned your own journey. Um, and slowing your fashion. A lot of times we talk about slow fashion, we're talking about how things are manufactured, but you're also doing slow fashion in your own life as a consumer. Can you tell us a little bit about how you made that transition and how how you practice that every day? When you buy a garment, what do you look at in it to determine if you should purchase it? What do you reject? So full disclosure, I, I don't know if, yeah, maybe this was clear earlier, but I was definitely um, a fast fashion addict. Like I, I used to consume a lot of fast fashion in my early 20s. Um, and mm-hmm. again, full disclosure, I even worked with some fast fashion brands as a TV presenter or as a presenter back in the day. So um, okay. I'm not innocent is what I'm saying. I have participated greatly. And initially, I think because I was coming off the back of that, you know, hyper consumption that fast fashion tells us we need to participate in, I definitely overconsumed secondhand clothing from charity shops. Um, it was important for me to, to, I think, I don't think there was any other way for me to kind of replace the habit, but I, looking back, I do think I probably overconsumed secondhand pieces. Um, but since then, now I am very, very, very specific about what I take on and I actually really relish just not really buying much because it makes the process of when you do actually take something on all the more marvelous. Um, so I love using resale apps. I'm a big fan of uh, eBay, Vestia Collective and Depop. And I spend... Um, just a lot of time searching for gems, using filters, finding pieces that are in the UK close to me. Um, I always kind of, if they, if the, if the fabrics aren't listed, I'll mess- message the sellers directly because I do try and, where possible now, avoid polyesters and things unless I absolutely love an item. I genuinely think the most important thing is, you know, am I going to love this and wear this for a really long time, irrespective of the fabric? But um, it is something that I'm kind of becoming more aware of the deeper I, I get into it. And I also just bought myself a birthday present, which is sat on the floor next to me, still wrapped up because I haven't um, opened it yet because I'm saving it for myself. But I'm so excited about it. It's a brand that I really, really want to tell you guys about, but I don't want to get the name wrong. It's from a brand called Boozy Gahil, and it's a Ugandan designer, B-U-Z-I-G-A-H-I-L-L. And the concept of the brand is absolutely amazing. So it is all about saving 
textile waste that was destined to pollute Uganda, basically, or was already been already polluting Uganda. And Bobby has upcycled it and made it into new pieces. And the concept of the brand is that you send he's sending back the global north's textile waste, mm. which I just think is oh. so powerful. Um, and they're really, really cool pieces. So I have invested in a new piece, but I guess it is made from clothes that were destined to landfill. I just think the message of the brand is absolutely amazing. And, um, that's the kind of brand that I really, really, really want to support. So I'm very excited to open that. Whether or not it'll be on my birthday or next month, I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is, it is, it sounds like it is secondhand though. Yeah, I guess so. No, you're right. I kind of feel like you could open it this month. Okay, thank you. I will take it. (laughs) I will take it. (laughs) I think it qualifies. I can't wait. I want to, I want to look that up. That is, that's a little tidbit there for everybody. But I'm actually curious because I don't know how it is with you, with you guys, but actually shopping for me in charity shops or in thrift stores, what you guys call thrift stores. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, I don't know if you have charity shops in the US so much, but um, what's been really interesting for me is charity shops are not what they were five, 10 years ago Mm -hmm. anymore. They're just full of- So true. Right. Is it the same with you? Unless you you go to thrilling, unless you go to thrilling, shop thrilling. That's right. No, we find, we, we absolutely find that to be the case. I find it to be the case for, for especially charity chains that um, can't, filter what they receive yeah. Um, versus a lot of the vintage thrift secondhand shops we work with, the owners are carefully curating and sourcing and selecting the inventory. Um, so for folks who are just receiving inventory and, and a lot of times Americans um, who have this disposable relationship with clothing will think of those charity chains as kind of dumping grounds for their fast fashion waste. So we definitely have seen that for sure. When I was originally shopping at the, the you know my first experiences with thrift stores and charity chains in the in the 90s um you would go in there and it would just be closed for the 70s and they would be indestructible. I mean some of them would be rayon and kind of like out of material that oof, you didn't want to touch with a 10 foot pole but they were durable. There was no fast fashion. We didn't really have fast fashion in the thrift stores in, in the late 90s. And then 10 years later that started to be all that you could find, really. I I remember watching that happen. I mean, as a culture, we weren't really talking about fast fashion yet, but I just remember thinking, I can't find what I want to find in the thrift stores anymore. So it's been happening for a really long time. Yeah, it's a real shame, but it's the reason why I I now mainly shop on on resale apps, to be honest, just because I just find the search capacity so much better there and I can find exactly what I want. And, you know, being able to set alerts and things is really, really wonderful. Don't you think you have to be more willing? I've I've also found my expectation about what I'm going to pay if I go into a curated vintage store or even pay um, at a charity shop. It used to be that you could find a deal for something really good. I think that's less and less and I'm at peace with that now. Like that's the environmental tax I'm going to pay to reuse something. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I would I mean I I think it's very rare eBay. I feel like I can occasionally find a really mm-hmm. a real gem. Um, I recently found a Laura Ashley vintage 1970s dress on eBay for less than 100 quid, which you would not get in a vintage store in London, no way. They charge like 250, 300 quid for that. So I was was very pleased with that. But yeah, I think it's becoming harder and harder to do. What I would say is if you do ever go to London, there is a charity shop. I don't know if you guys are Vivian Westwood fans. I love Vivian Westwood. Who, of course. Yes, of course. There's a charity shop in London that sells Vivian Westwood. Do go on. (laughs) And the address is... (laughs) There's a charity shop in Notting Hill called Mary's Living and Giving, where Vivian Westwood personally goes and drops off (gasps) Vivian Westwood pieces. And they are sold for a fraction of the price. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's a hot tip. It's a hot hot tip on hot buttons. Very hot tip. Let's cut that out so nobody hears that. (laughs) By the way, it's London Fashion Week, too. All these fashion people who are in London right now can run over there. Venetia, what makes you hopeful these days? September's been a very, very strange month, and there have been a few things that have happened which have made me feel so frustrated and want to turn my hair about things we've spoken about already. 
I feel really encouraged by the Patagonia announcement. I am so excited about that. I, I did some research into it and um, have been talking to friends about it who are in the space and looking at the board of advisors. And I genuinely do think it, it feels exciting and it mm. could be something that nourish, nudges and encourages other billionaires and billionaire brands to redistribute their wealth. You know, we know consumption isn't the way to solve climate change, but I do think it's a win and I'm really excited about it. I am over the moon about the news concerning H&M and their conscious labels that has been the longest time coming. And it really does feel like there is energy for legislation both across uh, Europe and the UK at the moment, which is which is brilliant. And then generally, I just always come back to, to garment makers and, and the people that I've met over the past couple of years who have... I've just learned so much from and have made me feel hopeful. And I think there is such an appetite from from so many people at the moment who really want to learn about this industry and want to learn more about the people making their clothes and feel excited about, you know, oh, they just found this new secondhand jacket or whatever it is. I just feel like there's there's a lot of exciting things happening. And I think that's really, really hopeful. What a perfect moment to wrap this, that optimism and not just one thing, like there's a lot to feel optimistic about. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been so wonderful. I've loved chatting to you all. And yeah, like I say, I'm a, I am a huge fan of the podcast and um, I just I just love it. So keep doing the amazing work that you're doing. It's so joyful to listen to. Well, right back at you. Thank you. Thank you so much, truly. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming. It's time for us to talk about our hot buttons this week. Rachel, would you like to start? You had a hot button that could almost be... Mine too, just on behalf of you, living vicariously. <laughs> Wait, can I do that too? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh it's gosh. like signing on to the to the card for a present. Let's, let's see if we can bring you along. Okay, so what was it? I can't remember what day last week I went to. I was invited to a clothing swap put on by uh, Global Fashion Exchange, Fashion Revolution USA, and Boohoo. Um, the uh, Global Fashion Exchange was one of the participants it, participants in. Um, Boohoo's educational series uh, uh, that went along with Kourtney Kardashian's uh, Barker's ambassadorship of the, um, you know, of their partnership, which was actually something I was impressed by because there's a lot of people involved in the educational portion that I, that I um, respect, one of which was Patrick Duffy, who threw this swap party at the Standard, which was indeed a swap party. And I hear my name called, and they say, Rachel, you won a, a trip. And I go up onto this stage, and I, and I, and I get a hug, and, and they say, you won a trip on the Peace Boat. And from what I knew, Pe Peace Boat once in a while will dock, I think, in Manhattan. So I was like, fantastic. I was so happy. I've never won anything. I thought I was getting like a trip around Manhattan on a boat. And I turn around and the whole audience is jumping up and down and screaming. Their faces look like insane. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wait, what? What's going on? And then somebody, one of my friends says to me, Rachel, you won a six month trip. And then like my, I'm like, oh my six God, like I don't, months? yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I could, you know what I mean? It's like handing someone a puppy for Christmas or something like I don't know if I, have, I could take this responsibility on. I'm like, okay. And somebody else comes over and they're like, no, 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 no. It's a two week trip. So, okay. Uh, I think, I God. think I'm still not clear where I'm going or when I'm going, but according to um, what I heard, I am uh, going on a two week trip sometime in 2023 through this organization called Peace Boat uh, US. They're a nonprofit NGO whose headquarters is right across from the UN and they partner closely with UN. Um, they lead global voyages from a week to 100 days um, with custom programs that combine onboard learning um, and on the ground experience in communities affected by global problems. So their wow. work includes uh, education around uh, war, environmental degradation, gender violence, using nonviolent activism and activism advocacy. So I'm really, really, really excited. I don't know when I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. I'm waiting for the email back, but I'm going on a trip. You are going. <laughs> at some point. And I want it. And you That's are going to take awesome. your microphone and headset with you because we want to record a podcast with you on doing this thing, whatever it is. I can't wait. Now, are you going to be lighter on Boohoo and give them more favorable treatment on hot buttons? As, as <laughs> No, I'm going to try to get them to hire me so I can help them out. Oh, even better. I All think right. they, they need some guidance. 
And uh, I, I, I spoke to representatives from there, and they seem very open to working with people who oh. uh, work in, in the space. Not necessarily me, I don't know, you know, but uh, I would work. I think, you know, I think that as much as we need activism and advocacy and we need people calling these brands out, I also think, um, and what they're doing right, is they're engaging people who know what they're doing, and I consider myself one of them. So, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Fair enough. Very exciting. That is. Hey, Shella, how about you? I um, it got a little bit buried this week because of the Patagonia news, but I was really intrigued by um, ThreadUp CEO wrote a piece for Fast Company entitled Why Fast Fashion is the Next Big Tobacco. And that's certainly a theme that we've talked about, about mm-hmm. addiction and looking to um, the policy measures around combating tobacco um, the pe- tobacco industry and, and whether that can be applied to the, to the fast fashion industry. And so anyway, I thought I thought that was really interesting and uh, a potential sign of, of what direction policy could take. Wow. That's interesting because that took years to evolve and then they sort of got all the gears in place and boom. Yes. My hot button is decidedly not. So this is I'm let the record show that I am holding up a sweater. It's a Missoni sweater that I bought on <gasps> Thrilling. Yeah. And it's go it's going to Milan with me. This is gonna be my my cardigan that I wear throughout the shows in Milan. So that's I'm taking, amazing. I'm taking a piece of your business with me. That is the highest honor, Christina, that you spent time on our platform and and now that you're you have a piece of it. Thank you so much. And that piece is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It is. It's as gorgeous. I, got, I feel like I got a really good deal on it, too. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Shella. That's what it's all about. <laughs> the thrill of the hunt. The thrill it of the is. deal. And it really does feel like that. And it sticks with you, too. Like Every time I look That's at it, awesome. I'm like, yeah. And you supported a small business. Yep. I can't remember which. I don't remember the shop now. I was more excited about the sweater. <laughs> <laughs> Selfishly. Fair enough. That's all for the show. Please support us by following us on Twitter. We're at Hot Buttons Pod or send a link to friends or colleagues and go to Apple or Spotify and give us a rating. We're also streaming on Amazon Music. We really appreciate your support. If you want to email us with story ideas, send a note to hotbuttons at postscriptaudio.com or leave us a voicemail at our new call-in line. It's at 508-622-5361. So give us a call. Hot Buttons is hosted by me, Christina Binkley, Shilla Kim Parker, and Rachel Kibbe. The show is produced by Postscript Media. Our senior editor is Anne Bailey. Our engineers are Greg Vilfrank and Sean Marquand. Cecily Maiza-Martinez is our managing producer. Stephen Lacey, Scott Clavenna, and Rachel Kibbe are our executive producers. Postscript Media makes podcasts at the intersection of climate with culture, politics, business, and tech. Postscript Media is supported by Prelude Ventures. Prelude is a venture capital firm focused on climate solutions across energy, food, agriculture, transportation, logistics, and advanced materials. Thanks for joining us. We will catch up with you next week. Rachel, I loved your I loved your measured tweets, by the way. Did you like my you measured say, tweets? <laughs> you would say, if this is exactly how it appears and sounds, <laughs> I will give my qualified <laughs> endorsement of this move. <laughs> we, we all have reason to be cynical, Who right? Who have I become? Well, I used to be such a grassroots activist. And now <laughs> oh, yeah. I know it's because it you're a grassroots activist. Maybe that that's, you know and, and I've been let down. I mean, you know, we've all been let down.